We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee with me again. As always, is Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, it is Combine Week. Are you as excited as the rest of NFL Twitter right now? Of course. It's something to talk about. (laughs) There's something going on in the NFL that is actually tangible and on TV with players who uh, are going to play a role in the next generation of the NFL. Yeah, so it's officially the start of the NFL draft season, and, and we were talking a little bit about it before we went on the air here. Just philosophically, what the Combine is, what purpose it serves, what it actually means. Uh, to me, I, I think, you know, th- there's a void. People are so crazy about the NFL, and there's typically this time of year, there's just such a void of content because, you know, there aren't going to be games for six, seven months, depending on how invested in the preseason you are. Uh, So the combine is really sort of something that's different than football that I think intrigues people just because it's not football. It's, it's a different side of it. It's a scouting aspect. It's the testing. Um, It's a television show that's three, four hours long each day when all that testing stuff is happening. Um, but to me, just, just having covered the league, you know, since 2013, so not forever, but the combine, what we see on TV and all these testing numbers, it's it's kind of overrated in terms of the way these teams make their decisions. Teams go into the combine with their their draft boards basically set and what seeing these players live do these, you know, doing these testing drills and running 40s and doing three cones and bench press and vertical jumps and all that stuff. It sort of just confirms what what the tape says, or it provides something where if, if you know if someone tests a lot better than they played on tape, then maybe they go back to the tape and try to figure out what went wrong for that player. Or uh, if there was a really good player and then he tested poorly, 
you go back and, and you try to figure out why did he test poorly? Is he dealing with an injury? Uh, do these testing scenarios really matter all that much? Uh, and for me, you know, the, the more important things are, are what is what, what's gleaned from the medical examinations that go on at the combine, uh, maybe to a lesser extent, the 15 minute interviews. I know Kyle Shanahan has talked a lot about the interviews not really offering much uh, in terms of, you know, just because you only have a, a very short time. And it's sort of an introduction to that player. And there's value in that from that standpoint, because you get to know somebody and maybe he says something that you decide to, you know, dig in a little deeper on. If, if there's something a, a player said about his college career, or his relationship with somebody that you weren't aware of beforehand, maybe you send your scouts or or your information gatherers to to go and look into things and, and tape a d- take a deeper look into into this subject. So, I mean, all, the, all that stuff is important. Um, and and ultimately, teams will end up, you know, bringing guys back for they have 30, 30 interviews that, you know, they can bring in prospects to their facilities before the draft. So, you know, the combine helps them decide which meetings they want to they want to have. And so all that stuff is, to me, far more important than what happens uh, when players are running 40s and, and doing all those things. Uh, so generally, I mean, where do you fall on on the value of the combine and, and what it really offers uh, or what it could offer the 49ers and, and how teams should should be approaching it? I think the athletic testing, like the workouts and the numbers, probably matter more for guys who are lower down draft boards. Maybe a team doesn't have their eye necessarily on a receiver but then he runs a four two seven, and suddenly uh, they decide to take a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, that's, but I don't think the 49ers, for example, let's say they've got Josh Allen circled. He's going to be their guy uh, if he doesn't go number one, which it doesn't look like he's going to. And then he goes out and runs a four nine seven. They're not going to go. Ah, you know what? Never mind. You know, uh, they're gonna they're gonna mostly go in the first couple of rounds. Uh, even maybe the first three or four rounds, uh, the the workout numbers I don't think matter as much. Uh, the bigger deal for me with the combine, aside from the interviews, because I think you you touched on all the points there with how important those are, uh, especially for Kyle Shanahan, who likes to do most of his scouting on tape. Um, he, or I, I shouldn't say do most of his scouting on tape. He prefers uh, really watching tape than than watching workouts. But I think the bigger deal is who doesn't do stuff at the combine. Um, it, we, we see a lot of news leading up to Kyler Murray's not going to throw. And, uh, I, I think it was Jalen Hurd, the wide receiver from, from Baylor, who's not going to work out because, um, he had a, he has a knee injury and he's going to only do, um, only do bench press. So I think the bigger deal is who doesn't do stuff and what don't players do. Um, and even that is is not a huge deal because most of the time, Kyler Murray, for example, he's going to throw for teams eventually. He's just not doing it in the in the combine setting. So, uh, yeah, it's mostly I think just fun for for. Would you would you say it's more fun for fans and media just to be able to write about? It's like a bigger deal for for people like us than it actually is for for teams in terms of the actual workouts. Yeah, I think it is. Sure. It's I mean, it's it's content, right? Like so right. It, it's it's our first chance to really gain a perspective about all the prospects we're going to be talking about for the next couple months. And we'll start with, OK, who ran fast? 
and who, you know, who bench press. And if we're looking at pass rushers who did really good in the three cone, um, things like that. And there are examples of, you know, the testing stuff mattering to, to teams and the 49ers in particular, you remember last year, Tervarius Moore, uh, at Southern Miss, he, he played safety. He didn't even get a combine invite, and he was he was he had a draftable grade um, for for a lot of people, and he was going to get drafted. It looked like he might have been you know a fifth or sixth round pick, despite being uh, despite not getting the combine invite. He ends up running a four three three or four three five at his pro day, and then all of a sudden flags raise up you know throughout the league and the scouting communities and things like that. And all of a sudden he goes in the third round, like I said, despite not going to the combine. So there are instances but, where numbers can dramatically change the scenario for, for some of these draft picks, but, but there, go, go ahead. But even, but even still with, with more, that was more, that was more of an instance where something you mentioned earlier, a guy's workout numbers jump off the screen and it was like, wow, what did we miss with this guy? Then teams went back and watched him. Right. Jeff Halfley, who's yeah. now who who's no longer with the team, but did a ton of work on more after he ran that number after he posted that number. Um, and then teams realized, okay, we or the Niners realized, okay, we we probably need to get this guy in the third round. Uh an example, and, and Peter King wrote about it today in his uh Football Morning in America column. Uh, Orlando Brown, remember the tackle who just had a horrendous combine? Yeah, it was last year he ran a five eight five, uh, and just did you know four fourteen reps on the bench press, and ended up being a really good player for uh, for Baltimore. Yep. So I mean, it, it just goes to show the tape is always more important, and Kyle Shan- Shanahan will always say that. So when you talk about testing numbers and things like that, what we're going to learn this week is you know who it's going to be confirmation or it's going to raise questions like, is this player, is this the same athlete we saw on tape? Why or why not? And should this change of our, our opinion of him? And generally, like, I don't really know, you know what, I don't really know what can happen for some of these top prospects. Um, You know, when it comes to testing, that's really going to change the Niners viewpoints of these players because they already do, you know, they have projections of, of what these guys are going to run based on the way they play. Right. Like they can do, they can time players on the field uh, running, running 40 yards, or, or they can project that using the technology that they have in the computer programs that they have. All this stuff is really advanced. Uh, so the testing numbers aren't really going to be all that important. It's going to be, okay, does this, is this guy dealing with a hamstring injury? Is that why he's, he's running slowly or, um, you know, there's there's all sorts of different things to think about from that standpoint, but ultimately it's not going to change the draft board all that much. Uh, what's going to be more important is what's gleaned over these next two months after the combine with the combine sort of creating the introduction for these teams and players, even though, I mean, a lot of these guys have been on, on teams radars for, for a year now. Once once the draft, once last year's draft ended, uh, and the 49ers made their picks and brought in their undrafted free agents, the scouts got together and then begin setting their preliminary plan for this year's draft. So they've been watching, you know, their area scouts have been scouring the country all season, and they already have a very good idea both on tape and going to practices and talking with coaches and, uh, and you know, strength trainers and academic advisors. And these are all things that, that have already been happening so, yeah, I think the reason why the combine is so popular is because fans clamor for content 
and you know they they need a way to fill the void uh, created just by the fact that it's a dead time of the football season. Um, and I think the NFL has done a really good job in setting their offseason schedule. Uh, you know, it should be the dead period, but we're going to have free agency in the beginning of March. The new league year starts March 13th. Um, and then we're going to have the draft at the end of April with a ton of lead up to the draft. And now you see, you know, there's so much more draft content online just in terms of, you know, the draft network's new. PFF is, is you know, diving into the draft even more than they have before. Um there's just the, the athletic Dane Brugler's doing some great, great work with them, which is, which is new for him. Uh, it's just, it's, it's all about creating content and generating buzz. And I think that services the fans and the media more so than the teams itself, uh, because the teams are already doing, already doing their own process and already have their own process that isn't as impacted by the combine as a lot of people would like to think. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that's correct. Um, Confirm what I'm saying, Kyle. Make uh, me feel better about myself. No, uh, no I think that's correct. Um, I, I, I was trying to articulate this properly, but the the thing that's so interesting about the Combine in just in general is I think it allows us, and maybe I'm getting way too philosophical here, but... I think it allows us to view players uh, as like the idealized version of them based on their workouts. Like Obi Mellon Fonwu, for example, safety played for the Raiders and then and then got cut after in the middle of his second season uh, and wound up with the Patriots. And I, I'm not sure played a snap for them, but blew up the combine. Like was just an athletic monster. And his tape wasn't awesome. He played at UConn, and he ended up going in the second round. But the idea that a football player might be running around and using these athletic traits to be a great player, I think is something that uh, people really, really want. Like, we want these athletic monsters because that's that's peak entertainment value for us, right? As, as, as fans who are watching the game, the best version of football is the most elite athletes doing things that elite athletes do in the context of a football game. But that doesn't, as we've seen over and over and over and over again, athleticism doesn't translate to football skill. But at the Combine, before they put pads on in the NFL, we can idealize that. Absolutely. And I think that's I think that's part of why the Combine is so fascinating. So you said Obi Melifonwu, and what I did immediately when you said that is go to Mock Draftable and look up Taylor Mays, uh, who yes. is probably pretty close to uh, 49ers fans' hearts. Do you remember <laughs> his Combine? Uh, I remember there was... That was in the very early days of Twitter. I remember, at least for me... <laughs> There were like disputes over his his forty time, but it was still like a sub four, three five or something insane. Dude, this is the most insane combine like or spider graph I've I think I've ever like. You're a at. big you're a big spider graph. I'm guy. a big spider. I love graph a spider graph. I think it paints a, a good picture in, in terms of just what a player is physically. Okay, so let's go through it. Taylor Mays height 6'3", 95th percentile weight. 230 98th percentile this is all among safeties arm length 34 inches first, first 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 can we just pause real quick yeah 
250 or 230 yeah. is ridiculous for a safety. So so yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. Uh arm length 34 inches, the 97th percentile, hand size 10 and a quarter, 94th percentile. Here's where it gets really crazy. We just talked about how big he is, right? 10 yard split. One second, one uh 1.45 seconds, 99th percentile. You know what his 40 was? <laughs> 4.31, percentile, vertical jump, 41 inches, 95th percentile. And then his numbers start to like normalize a little bit. Broad jump, 125 inches, 81st percentile. Three cone drill, uh, which I guess he did at his pro day, 6.98, which is 55th percentile. Not great. And probably an indicator that he's not as awesome athletically as the other numbers indicate. Um, 20 yard shuttle, 38th percentile, also not great. 4.24 seconds bench press, 24 reps, 93rd percentile, also freakish. So Taylor Mays, and you mentioned Obi Malafonu too, like Taylor Mays is, might go down as like one of the all time, like combine mega stars who just didn't do anything in the NFL. And yeah. He was, he was amazing at the combine. Yeah. Like yeah, that this spider guy his, his, is totally his, com- his comparisons include Eric Reed, good player. Yeah. Eric Berry, really good player. Derwin James, really good player. Yeah. Uh David Bruton. Don't yeah. know who that is. Chip TJ McDonald. Don't know who that is. TJ McDonald, also USC. Decent player. Uh yeah, I mean it's just so it, it goes to show and, and, like what we've been and talking Taylor about. Taylor Mays, people people Niners fans were so amped. So that they amped. acquired Taylor Mays. So amped. Yeah, because he was a monster. And there were like there were highlights of him just destroying people in college, but he turned out not to be a good safety. Not that he did have that one play. Do you remember in 2010 in Atlanta uh with the blocked punt and then he caught it in the back of the end zone and like tapped his toes in I for the do, touchdown? I do not remember that. It's an incredible play. I'm gonna find it in some decade ago. We're getting old, yeah. man. I know it. I know it. That was the same. Uh, that was the Roddy White game where Nate Clements had the pick that was going to seal the game and Roddy White came up and punched the ball out. Right, right. And then the Falcons got the ball back and went down and scored. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Singletary. Um, not that great of a coach, it turns out. Not that great of a coach. Um, yeah. When when I need to fire you up for a good podcast episode, I'm not going to drop my pants and, and yell at you. Um, oh, thank God. Mike Singletary did. <laughs> Just, that was my biggest concern. Okay, good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the combine, and, and there are questions, right? Like, so we're going to go into a few few questions that we have uh, before everyone descends on Indianapolis this week. I'm going to be going there tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. I'm leaving early Tuesday morning. So hopefully we will have some uh, red hot content to give you guys live from Indianapolis this week. Um, but we're going to take a preliminary look, and, and we're going to, you know, once – once the draft gets closer and as this process plays out, we're going to take a dive into, you know, later round prospects and who we think would fit the 49ers needs for now. Just some preliminary questions we have about uh, players who might go early. Uh, I think you and I both, I mean, there's, there's the obvious question about Nick Bosa and his health, right? And, and Ian Rappaport reported today um, that Bosa is going to be a full go for the combine and, and the, the core injury and the groin injury, isn't going to be of much concern leading up to the draft. And he's still probably, you know, going to be a top three pick or whatever. 
Uh, the, the question I have just sort of about his overall durability, and this isn't really related to the core muscle issue this year and his, and his decision to sit out the final, you know, what, however many games he sat out of his, of his college career at Ohio state, but he partially tore an ACL during his last year um, in high school before going to Ohio state. And so he's ended two of his last four seasons on the shelf with injuries. Um, so, you know, what, what's he going to look like medically? I know, you know, Nick Bosa's dealt with different injuries. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily a correlation or sorry, Joey Bosa's dealt with injuries. Have I been calling Nick Joey and Joey Nick this whole time? I feel like there's no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that there's a correlation that just because Joey has dealt with injuries during his time in the NFL, that Nick is necessarily going to deal with durability issues. Um, but I think it's something that the, you know, teams picking in the top five are certainly going to factor in. Um, and maybe it'll scare the Cardinals enough or, you know, any team picking first, if the Cardinals move out of that pick to not want to draft Joey. But I think that has to be the biggest Nick. question. Nick, see, <laughs> Nick, see, so this is what happens. No, you we're know, leaving like, this I in. We're Ohio leaving this State. in. I watch these guys a lot. It's like they wear the same number. They play basically the exact same way. They look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. <laughs> Um, Nick Bosa. So that's the biggest question I have really heading into the combine that the 49ers probably are going to need to get a grasp on. And they're going to have a new, uh, you know, when Jeff Ferguson, who was, who, who was fired, who was their head of football operations and really their head trainer, they have a replacement for him. And it's going to be up to that person to decide and, and give a rundown on Bosa's health. And maybe the 49ers are going to be scared away by those injuries. I, you know, I will have to see. Do you, are you concerned about Joey Bosa's injuries? Nick Bosa's? <laughs> I mean, jo- Joey Bosa too, Can I guess. Not really. Can we no, 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 we're leaving it all in. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Joey Bosa for sure. I mean, he's, he's a dynamite young player and you want to see him healthy uh, regardless of the team he plays for. But Nick Bosa, I, I'm, I, I don't think so. Um, He's he's still so good, and he did produce in college, uh, and I think, uh, or at least through his first two years, and then I think if this year he hadn't tried to, because he had a groin thing coming into the year, right? And I think I think the ab thing might have been might have been uh, a hurt going into the year as well, and I think if he had just taken the first like three or four weeks off, uh, gotten healthy, and come out, and he could have had a full season. But I think because he tried to play through those injuries, that's where he got in trouble. Uh, I think right. it's best case scenario for the Niners that there's as much concern about his injuries as possible. Uh, because I think if he falls to number two, I, they're taking unless a, unless a doctor says like, "Hey, this guy's not going to last more than a season." But I don't I don't foresee that happening. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. And I think if if the Cardinals want to take him number one, I'm not sure that something other than a catastrophic news about his injury will will change that. So I looked up uh, Joey Bosa's, the current Chargers defensive end, Nick's older brother. I looked up his spider graph. So I'm a big, big spider graph guy. Um, Huge spider graph guy. You. <laughs> he, uh, he didn't test particularly well at the combine of his combine in 2016. Um, his best, but it, it's notable that his best drill was his three cone which was 6.89 seconds, which is really, really good for somebody who's 270 pounds. 
Um, and I think that sort of illustrates what, what drills are important. Some are more important than others, right? Like I don't necessarily, and it depends on the position you play. Like I don't think yes. the 40 yard dash for anyone who plays in the trenches is really that big of a deal. Um, I know a lot of people say it. I think the 10 yard splits really important for, for defensive linemen and pass rushers in particular, but even Joey Bosa, his 1.68 second 10 yard split is a 29th percentile among defensive ends which obviously is not good, um, but he's still one of the NFL's best pass rushers. So with Nick Bosa, Joey's little brother, I'm getting this, I'm getting this right. Um, <laughs> with him coming off the groin and core injury, I mean, I, I would assume he's been training like crazy, but I'm not expecting him to test really well. It might just be something where like, all right, just, just do all these tests. Don't, don't completely fall on your face and come out of it healthy. And we'll still be content with, you know, taking you in the top five as long as all your medical stuff checks out. Yeah, and he could have returned. And correct me if I'm wrong. I know you're the big Buckeye guy here. Uh, You went there. I don't know if you've mentioned that. Uh, (laughs) But he could have returned in December, correct? Yeah, he could have. He could have returned for the stretch run. There was some angst among the um, diehard Buckeye fans that, you know, thought they could have made a run to the, and I mean, they were just outside of the college football playoff and thought if he had returned, they could have gone to the playoff and, and, you know, maybe been in the running for a national title. Looking back, I think Clemson probably would have washed them if they ever, uh, if they ever. Yeah. I think Clemson, I think Clemson was going to wash whoever they played. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was so, so the, so he took, he basically took those last few games off because he wanted to focus on the combine. So I think right. I think he has been training. His dad has come out and, and said as much that there that he's been he's been working hard. He's going to do everything at the combine, and I think I think that bodes very well for his health because if there were still lingering issues, they would they would not be coming out and and making it clear that he's going to do everything at the combine. Right. So other questions we have regarding the first round pick, or at least other questions I have that I wrote down in our rundown that I'm assuming Kyle agrees with because hopefully he agrees with everything I write. Um, what's Brian Burns going to weigh? The, That's, the yes. pass rusher from Florida State. A lot of people talk about his freaky athleticism, his explosiveness. He's really tall and lanky. Uh, I think he was listed at 230 pounds. Yeah, 235 uh, is what I had down. Right, from. and there are concerns about his ability to convert speed to power and his strength. Um, so he is somebody who could definitely have the uh have his status changed a little bit with the combine is he going to do a bunch of reps on the bench press is he going to come in at you know 245 or 250 which is probably going to going to have to be where he needs to be in the league uh or is he going to come in skinny not do not do particularly well in the strength drills and our team's going to look at him as somebody who's going to need a year to develop and maybe have him, you know, in a really limited role as a rookie. And is that going to lead to his stock falling? And the reason why we bring him up, we've talked about it before, but at number two, there's a reasonable chance the 49ers who only have six picks total in this draft after having uh, 19 in the last two years, there's a good chance they could trade back. And if they really like Brian Burns or Ja'Kai Polite or Montez Sweat or Cleveland Farrell, and they they like one of those guys enough to, to move back and, and take one of those guys in the first round to acquire more picks. Then they're really going to need to know everything they can about these prospects. 
and answer as many questions as possible. So will they be comfortable with Brian Burns and his power slash strength issues if they do want to trade back? Because just from a from a skill set and athleticism standpoint, it seems like he would be a, a really interesting player for them to target. Thoughts? So I've seen Brian Burns mocked anywhere between like, like basically the late teens, early twenties, right? Uh, a lot because of his, his, his weight, but the latest CBS sports mock from, uh, let's see who wrote this from, uh, Ryan Wilson has him going seventh to the jets. And he's a type of, he's a type of player who just like really stands out when you watch him. Right. Um, he, 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 his athleticism just jumps off the screen and if he somehow if he somehow weighs in at like 245 250 that's where i think you'll see his his draft stock really skyrocket right and the reason that's important for the 49ers is because if if they're going to think about trading back out of the number 2 spot like let's say they look at this at this year's edge depth and they go hey we can we can trade back and still get what we determine to be a very quality player in the like eight to 10 range. Uh, if Burns winds up weighing in at like 250, I think a, he becomes a target if they trade back, but B uh, it's going to limit how far back they can go. Sure. Because I think as of right now, they could probably go back into the early teens uh, and still get a player like Burns. But if he weighs in at 245, 250, I think they'll have to be in the top 10 to get him. Sure. And, but it, it, the further back you go means you're getting, you know, the more you get in trade compensation, right? So the further sure. back you go, maybe you score, you know, an extra first round pick next year, or even, you know, if a team needs a quarterback and they're coming up from the twenties, not that that, that scenario is really presenting itself right now, but they could possibly get two first round picks uh, in addition to this year's, so going back that far, and maybe it's Ja'Kai Polite, which is a, a good transition point. I will say uh, r- about Brian Burns, I just looked up Alden Smith's combine. The knock on Alden Smith, who not a lot of people had uh, thought no. about before, particularly to the 49ers before his draft in 2011, was you know he lacked bulk. He and he weighed it. He weighed in at 263, um, but he's very thin. But yeah, he was a skinny guy and, you know, a lot of people thought he needed to improve his strength and his bulk. And he wound up being just a really good pass rusher really on in his career because of uh, just his physical skills and his explosiveness and his hand usage and things like that. A lot of the same things that people like about Brian Burns. Um, Obviously, Alden Smith has his own set of issues off the field that um, it's no longer in the league. And maybe that was a part of the evaluation process. For people, and one of the reasons why he was under the radar because people had questions about um, his habits off the field and personality traits and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, Brian Burns is, is somebody who's going to be really interesting. Uh, a guy just mentioned Jakai Polite, Florida pass rusher. He's he's also small on the smaller side, 6'2, 260. Uh, he, he used to play defensive tackle for, at Florida, which is really interesting, and then lost 30 pounds and then became like a really explosive dynamic pass rusher off the edge who could theoretically fit the 49ers what they want uh, in sub packages. I don't know. You know, he's basically the size of a Sam linebacker, but he played exclusively defensive end at Florida State or sorry, Florida. And, 
you know, he, I don't know if he would be a traditional Leo in in base packages. Not like that really matters, but I think, you know, that would probably him playing if the 49ers went with polite <clears throat> after trading back. I would assume Solomon Thomas would stay at Leo or maybe Eric Armstead stays at Leo. One of those two would, you know, those that combination of those two, if they bring Armstead back, would be the Leo and big end. And Polite probably wouldn't get in on base downs and probably just be a, you know, passing down player similar to the way the 49ers use somebody like Cassius Marsh. So there's still value in that, but maybe there's less value in the fact that someone like Polite uh, wouldn't be a three down player. And I think you could probably say the same for Burns at this point. Um, so the question, the question that people have posed about polite is how is he going to interview? And there are some concerns. Um, you know, he doesn't have a criminal background and, and Dane Brugler of the athletic broke down a bunch of these questions and, and did a really great job. If you don't follow Dane's work, um, surrounding the draft, I, I really can't recommend it enough, but he talked about, you know, the reviews haven't been great surrounding Polite's maturity. Um, and obviously dealing with the Ruben Foster situation, and everything like that, the interview process with Polite is going to be really important for San Francisco um, because, you know, they don't want to deal with another immature player who gets himself into bad situations. So uh, there's no criminal background or any history like that with Polite that we know of. Um, but people want to know, is he going to be uh, is he going to be an issue early in his career when it comes to maturity? Because obviously a lot's going to be on the line with the first round pick. Yeah, that'll be the interviews for the 49ers, I think, are going to be so enormous just because of uh, what happened with Ruben Foster and because of their need to really nail this pick. They have to get, whether they pick at number two or they trade back, they have to get their first round pick right. Like they can't, they can't afford to botch another top three pick, and and the interview process is going to be enormous in that, given their given their uh, focus on on building a culture and and like I said the the issues that that Ruben Foster ran into off the field. Right, and Montez Sweat, um, is similar questions. He transferred from Michigan State to Mississippi State. And one of the reasons why he transferred was because he did not get along with the coaching staff at Michigan State. So he switched. Uh, the 49ers coached him at the Senior Bowl. So they'll have a very good idea of what he's like in the meeting room already uh, and, and what he does on the field. Um, Sweat's really long. He has sort of those Alden Smith like 36 inch arms. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he has the same type of upside or the flexibility or the athleticism. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, if, if the 49ers interview him, which I assume they would, um, you know, what, what are those questions going to be like about his coachability? The reason why he transferred from Michigan state to Mississippi state, was it his fault? Uh, you know, are they going to use our contacts at, at Michigan state to try to figure out what happened there to, to see, to really get a good picture of, of what happened. And also like, is he going to test explosively? Is he going to be really good in the three cone drill in, and, you know, is he going to be explosive in those drills where he has to, um, they cut, they, the, can I throw one of my favorite scouting terms at you, Kyle? Please. Um, ankle flexion. Oh, what's his, what's his ankle flexion? Like, um, when he runs a three cone, like it, how quickly can you 
you know, bend around the edge. And I think that's a, the, the biggest question about sweat, which the 49ers may or may not get more answers about at the combine. Um, Cleveland Farrell, another pass rusher. Obviously, we're sticking with pass rushers because it seems very it's their biggest need. It seems very likely the 49ers are going to get a, a pass rusher here. Farrell is um, he's, he's a guy I spoke with after the uh, after the national t- title game. Humble brag. I don't know why I just said that, but he <laughs> he's strong. He's a really strong player. He seems like his hands and and his technique are really refined. But he is not the same type of twitchy, uh, speedy, explosive guy who's who's going to beat tackles around the edges and force quarterbacks really to step up in the pocket, which I think is what the 49ers need because, you know, in conjunction with DeForest Buckner, I think they need somebody who can win with speed on the outside. And I think Polite and Burns and certainly Josh Allen and, and Nick Bosa uh, qualify as, as those type of players. So Will Cleland Farrell who no undoubtedly has been, um, you know, training leading up to the combine. Is he going to be able to show that ankle flexion and that explosiveness in the, the short area quickness drills like the three cone and 20 yard shuttle and things like that to maybe convince teams that, that he can, you know, improve that part of his game and, and become a really good player because his strength and his technique is already really like refined and, and it, solid yeah. for, for where he's at. And maybe he ends up, having a really good combine in terms of those change of direction things. He, he compared it himself to, to Alden Smith on the field. And, and they both wore 99 and played the same position, but (laughs) right. And that's, so that's where Alden Smith was such a good athlete and Cleveland Furl is going to have to on, on some level be at least a fraction of that to be considered a top 10 pick if he goes in and and he is stiff and and is unable to turn the corner because that's really been the biggest problem with Solomon Thomas right is he can't he can't rush the passer from the outside because he can't get around the corner mm-hmm. if if Furl shows that he's going to have an issue doing that in the NFL yeah his his draft stock's going to fall i think pretty hard yeah and and one guy who i think just in terms of the way he plays sort of compares well to to Farrell is Daniel Hunter of the Vikings and i was just looking yeah. up his spider graph um, really, really good combine. And Daniel Hunter's amazing. He's a really good player, but isn't doesn't play like the super athletic, flexible edge guy. Um, he's much more of a stout, sturdy, uh, wins with strength on the outside. He's still long and very athletic, but I think Farrell could have that type of upside. But I mean, in similar players, but listen to these numbers in terms of testing. Um, 40-yard dash, Daniil Hunter at 252 pounds, 6'5", ran a 4.57, which is a 96 percentile. That's totally outrageous. Yeah. Uh, Broad jump, 130 inches, 98 percentile. Three-cone drill, 6.95, 88 percentile. When you're talking about pass rushers and you get below seven seconds and you're a big pass rusher, uh, that's like a really – telling sign that you're probably a really good pass rusher at the next level. Um, and Daniil Hunter bore that out. So, you know, just based on their, their skill sets and the way they play defensive end, if, if Cleveland Farrell is able to put up numbers like that, particularly in the three cone and the broad jump 
those explosive, uh, those drills that measure, measure explosiveness, I, I would have to think the Niners would be intrigued because Farrell is, I think he's a, he's a more natural Leo in base and can be a three down defensive end. I don't know if he'd yeah. be a double digit sack guy every year, but he could probably, um, you know, I think he plays with really high effort and a lot of sacks come just from effort. Yeah. But he could be like, if he just had eight sacks every year of his career, like that would be a really good player for the 49ers. Even it would be if, even double the not... amount of production they got this year. Right. Exactly. And even just to be able to affect the affect the pocket from the outside. Right. Like he doesn't even have to get sacks. Just, <laughs> they just need somebody who can, who can uh, affect the quarterback from that position. Are there any questions that you have about prospects that you hope to get answered this week? Uh, not, not especially. Um, I, I, I just want to see there's, there's, uh, guys like Devin white, the linebacker. I want to see what he runs. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a super productive player at, uh, at LSU and, and just really his, when you watch him on tape, he's all over the place, but I just want to see what he runs and what, what his three cone and stuff looks like, um, to see if he can be a, he's be that. Uh, like coverage linebacker. Can he, right. can he keep up with running backs? Uh, he's 6'1", 240, and looks the part on tape, but uh, I want to see if his numbers bore out and and kind of show the same thing, that he can be, uh, has the speed to hang with, like I said, NFL running backs and tight ends. Yeah, and one of my draft takes is um, if the 49ers don't make an investment in a starting caliber linebacker in free agency, whether it be C.J. Mosley or someone else, or Jordan Hicks or whoever, um. Devin White seems like a very realistic trade back candidate type player. Yeah. To me. Um, just because I mean you lose Ruben Foster. Elijah Lee's fine, I guess, as a depth player, but I don't I think you're in trouble if you're counting on him to be an every down starter next year next to Fred Warner. Uh so yeah, Devin White, I think would be a perfect will linebacker to play next to Warner just because of the sp- his speed and coverage ability. And I think, you know, the modern NFL you need to be able to cover tight ends and running backs in the middle of the field. Otherwise you're going to get exposed. And that's why, you know, someone like Navarro Bowman's out of the league. Uh, so I think, you know, getting somebody like white would make a ton of sense. Uh, and if they were to move back to a team that had multiple first round picks or gave the 49ers ammo to move back into the first round, I think that would make plenty of sense if, you know, someone like Jakai polite was available in the teens and they moved back a few spots to, you know, to take, uh, to take white. I think that would be a good scenario for the 49ers where they could find, um, a couple, couple surefire starters going forward, which, which wouldn't be the bad idea if they weren't entirely sold on Josh Allen or, or Nick Bosa. Uh, but you know, who can use, uh, some life, life insurance going into the draft. Who's that? Uh, NFL draft prospects. I mean, for these prospects, life can definitely be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. And Kyle, that's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind Love of life ethos. insurance. It's a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you get rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. 
Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. Can we talk receivers for a second before we uh, before we close? Please. Or one receiver in particular who I think might end up being the perfect Kyle Shanahan receiver. If you're going to talk about a receiver, that's the one I want you to talk about. Okay. Like it would suck if you were like, let's talk receivers. Here's this guy. Here's five minutes on him. Don't think he's a Shanahan receiver though. Okay. So I think this guy <laughs> is uh, the perfect Kyle Shanahan receiver, but I don't know if everyone's going to agree with me on this based on you know, size and and the sort of archetypical viewpoints people have on receiving cores that they need to like be like a basketball team. You know, Kyle Shanahan has a bunch of small, very shifty receivers, and he's made it clear he doesn't really care about size. He cares about the ability to be man coverage, route running, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Andy Isabella is just, to me, a spitting image of it just the the way he plays football i know he's small uh but he's gonna test really well at the combine this week he's incredibly fast and he's he's a monster with yards after the catch the 49ers obviously need a receiver with you know after moving on from pierre garçon uh maybe the second or third round for isabella and i mean he's he's just 587 yards after the catch, according to Pro Football Focus. He caught 68 of his 97 targets, uh, 32 first downs, 12 touchdowns. He had the best receiving grade of any FBS FBS receiver. Jeez. Um, And a lot of people think because he's short and changes direction really well, he's limited to the slot. But uh, he led the FBS by averaging 5.6 yards per route run on the outside um, and had the quarterbacks had a 143.6 passer rating when targeting him outside, which was second in the FBS. He is just, he's really, he gained 74% of his yards after the catch. A lot of people think he might break. I mean, he's going to break 4-4. Does he break 4-3? In in the forty yard dash, I just he's he just seems to me when it comes to like yards after the catch, getting open, separating, he looks like the perfect Kyle Shanahan receiver. But people are going to disagree with me because I think he's listed at five nine and like one hundred and eighty pounds. Yeah, but I feel like his versatility is so intriguing, and the fact that he looks like kind of a slot receiver, but I think he can be, or he looks like what we come to expect a slot receiver to be. But the fact that he can be effective, I think really anywhere on the field is, is really, really intriguing. And if he can run routes and get open in every area of the field uh, with his long speed, that's, that's, that's a, that's the exact type of receiver the 49ers are going to add. He ran a 10.9 in the 100-meter dash in high school, which is Jeez. fast. Um, That's... So he like he could he could break 4-3. And if he does that, I would have to think he's 
just given his versatility and his production, I would have to think he's going to see, he's going to start getting considerable buzz. And I wonder if 36 is going to be the spot for him. And just given the skills that we've talked about, like, I think he would fit what the 49ers want as, as a possible Z or even an X and Kyle Shanahan likes versatility, obviously, uh, or even an F somebody who can play in the slot. So, I mean, they have slot guys in Trent Taylor uh, and Richie James, but I kind of think Andy Isabella, like it wouldn't really surprise me at all if just his explosiveness and his speed, despite his size, really caught Kyle Shanahan's eye. And he's a guy that the 49ers end up going after. Yep, that would not surprise me at all. Um, other, especially if he, especially if he comes in sub four three on his forty, right? Like, remember when earlier we were talking about how how those kind of numbers, like typically workout numbers, don't don't move the needle that much. I'm guessing Isabella is already somewhere uh, high up on the 49ers board, mm-hmm. and if he comes in sub four three, that's that's game changing speed, right? Right. Um, Andy Isabella isn't the only receiver in that range, obviously. Debo Samuel, a guy the 49ers coached in at the Senior Bowl, South Carolina receiver. Uh, we mentioned it before, just like a spitting image of Pierre Garçon. Is he going to, I think he's going to be a riser as the next two months unfold. Is he going to test really well and really start to see uh, his stock rise just based off those testing numbers? Because I think people are going to look at his tape, his physicality. He has enormous hands. Um, and he made cornerbacks, frankly, look really bad in individual drills at the Senior Bowl near the goal line. And, and the 49ers were the worst red zone offense in the league last year. So getting somebody who can separate from coverage in small spaces uh, with big hands, someone like Debo Samuel, he might be somebody the 49ers target at 36 overall. Um, I feel it, this this draft receiver wise is is really intriguing because I think there's DK Metcalf. And Nikhil Harry, it feels like those two guys, DK Metcalf from Ole Miss and then Nikhil Harry from from Arizona State, I think those two are kind of being circled as the potential like number one receivers. But then that second tier of receiver in this draft, I think is so deep. And there are so many of them that fit what Shanahan likes. In that they can run a diverse route tree. Uh, There's some guys with good size, some guys with, with not so good size, but they get open, they separate. Uh, and then they catch the ball, which somehow gets overlooked still in the NFL because teams get enamored with speed and height and weight. Right. Metcalf's interesting because he's coming in with with serious injuries, question marks. But a lot of people think he could be Josh Gordon. And obviously, Kyle Shanahan was a coordinator in Cleveland when Gordon was really, really good. Metcalf, 6'3", 225. Uh, maybe he his injury status you know, causes him to fall to the second round. We'll have to see about that. If he blows up the combine like everyone thinks, he might end up sneaking his way into the top 10 because NFL people are enamored with receiver testing numbers, maybe more than anything else. Um, Kevin Harmon, 6'3", 213. Maybe he goes middle of the first round. Riley Ridley is really interesting. His brother Calvin obviously turned out to be a really good first-round pick for the Falcons last year. Uh, Really good route runner. Probably not as explosive or as productive as as his brother was. Uh, but maybe, you know, second, third round conversation for the 49ers, along with Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown out of Mississippi, bigger body, 225 pounds, uh, a good route runner, not overly explosive, but maybe somebody Kyle Shanahan likes too. 
somebody who's willing to block, which is maybe an underrated thing with with Shanahan. Pierre Garcon obviously was a really good blocker, uh, and it's really important for the Niners' scheme because you know they run outside zone. They need their receivers on the outside to block well. So these are all things to factor in. Um, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap this up and before I hop on a plane to in, to tropical Indianapolis? No, no, I think I think we're good. Have safe travels, buddy. Thank you very much. Uh, I will bring my podcasting equipment with me, uh, assuming it gets through security, and we will have we will have some content coming to you live from Indianapolis. Uh, hopefully, I can get some more insight on on where things stand with uh, with all these prospects and what questions are getting answered and and what the 49ers goals are going into this draft in terms of constructing the roster. And really, I mean, they got to put the pedal to the metal now. This is year three. They don't really have the excuse of newness anymore. They're reconstructing the roster, but um, they need they need to start looking like a team that can contend for a playoff spot because, frankly, it's been too long. And it's time for the pressure to really start heating up on Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And it starts with the draft, which starts with a combine. So with that... Thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Please subscribe. Hey Chris. Yeah, hey yeah, Chris, yeah. real quick. Yeah. Chris, real quick. Go, go ahead. Can I offer you can I offer you a question to ask Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch uh, if and when you get to chat with them? Sure. Ask them who they're going to draft. Okay. With the number two pick. Okay, hold on, let me write that down. Yeah, please. Alright. To draft. With that, <laughs> thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. Uh, subscribe rate and review whatever you get your podcast we really appreciate the support of the pod uh and we will talk to you guys soon i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.